Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It is a a fortuitous time to be doing a podcast if you've got a podcast that touches on politics because this is like a deluge. <laughs> I know. There's a lot of politics going on. So the Blaze had their Iowa Summit or Blazeathon. It was like the family values summit right. or something. And the Blaze, yeah, this which, is like a big Iowa thing. It's like Vanderplatz in Iowa. This is like the big political kingmaker in Iowa. This is the one I mentioned it last week because Trump declined to go to this event. Oh, so the he Jer- said, Joni Ernst one. No, no, no. He didn't oh. go to the Joni Ernst one, but he also declined to go to this one because he said he's not doing multi-candidate events. Okay, so, so now, so so let me just start with just a little about the Blaze. It, it's they've seemed kind of like, I, and I don't want to say this. Like, I know people who work at the Blaze who, who I like. I'm glad the Blaze is out there. I'm glad Glenn Beck and that crew is doing. Has been creating content. It's been really on the ground floor of that particular kind of platform. Mm-hmm. But they just it, it it feels. Let's say if your your sensors are are or your go to aggregator for news and viral virality is Twitter. They feel like they've been dormant for a few years, doesn't it? Yeah, they have not been. They have some commentators and stuff who are obviously. Um, is Elijah Schaefer still at the Blaze? He's been pretty prolific. He certainly was at the Blaze. I don't know if he still is. Um, he's good. Um, I'm not saying they don't have people who are good. I mean, but the people who are out there. Because, yeah, like, nobody's circulating Glenn Beck clips and being like, this is must watch. No. Do you know what or, I mean? Or, or like, like any of those those stars they had. I mean, Okay, a, I don't think he's at the Blaze anymore. Well, a couple of them yeah. have had passed away, but... Um, like and uh, you know some people have passed through the blaze. I, it just it just hasn't been. I mean, obviously Matt Walsh was there at one time as well. He was. I think he was. Didn't he? He was write? at Breitbart. I know that. Maybe he was at the blaze. It would make sense. He. Yeah, but a lot of people were there. 
But like you're not like Matt Walsh isn't there now. He's a Daily Caller now, so the Daily Caller has been front and center. You know, Tim Dillon gets more buzz on social media than the Blaze does. It seems like to me, um, right? And Andy no uh, does, or it's it, it certainly the Daily uh, Wire people, the Daily I mean, Caller he says people. Whitlock, Alex Stein is apparently at the Blaze. Oh, is he at the? I'm surprised Alex Stein's at the Blaze. I'm surprised he is too. Maybe he was but... an acquisition, but. Um, Mm-hmm. And Whitlock is fantastic. Uh, so, so that so that is good. So I guess Whitlock, uh, a lot of stuff comes from him. But you know, he was at at out kick kick, kick uh, a year and a half ago. I do have listeners to my radio show who are, who are Blaze. Uh, it just, just I used to really like when they had the Blaze Radio and they had yeah, a morning Doc show Thompson that was and, the morning Blaze. That was um, was it Doc Thompson? Yeah, or, wasn't it Doc Thompson? It was Doc something else, but he died. Yeah. But I used to really like that morning show. But that was a long time ago. No, that that's was like, like ten years ago. Harold Radio Time. Yes, yeah. and like um, um, Buck Sexton was there. Oh, okay. Uh, everybody was there at one time. Candace was there at one time. Like everybody's. Mm-hmm. Or, or no, um, T- Tommy Lauren. Tommy Lauren. Tommy Lauren. Okay, I thought it was Tommy. No, it's, it's, she spells it. It's a. It's, I don't know. <laughs> it's a thing. T O M I, which I don't abide by. That anybody's a T O M I, but she's. Uh, but uh, she's attractive, so who cares? Um, but anyway, so the blaze has come roaring back this weekend. This was must well watch. And let's be honest well, about yeah, why. Right. One decision was the reason why this Iowa family socially conservative candidate summit was yeah. the must watch thing this weekend. And what's the one reason why this was must watch? Uh, they Tucker. made one good decision, which was hiring Tucker Carlson. Right. To they the brought candidate. in Tucker as a ringer and he totally turned the ship around. He talked Tucker Carlson. I don't know if this is what the, the, certainly the candidates couldn't have expected this was going to happen. The candidates, I believe think thought they were going to be given a, uh, sort of like a town meeting forum, right? Like a little candidate, town rubber hall, chicken, exactly. Where they could say like, "What's your thoughts on Ukraine?" and they could give like a little prepared paragraph right. of word salad things that like, you know, don't commit them right. to anything too serious. But they walked onto a live stage production of the Tarko Carlson show. Yes, this was. Yes. each one was like a new cage match, and so, and so, which is awesome. Because this, honestly, and like this is what I've really missed from his Twitter show. And really, to be honest, even from his TV show for many, many years, because I think these events became rarer and rarer on his TV show as more people became afraid to go on Tucker Carlson if they didn't agree with him. Um, because pe- but but this was like early Tucker Carlson tonight. Right. This was like when people went on. Because the sort of foppish bow tie guy that Fox had put in this primetime spot had invited them on and they didn't know what they were walking into. You know, like when he had Lauren Duca on or Kurt Eichenwald on Mm -hmm. these like crazy interviews that just went sideways because Tucker went there and asked questions and said stuff. I mean, in terms of more recent examples, I think Asa Hutchinson is probably the biggest one who went on there for some reason expecting Tucker to softball him and got completely sandbagged. Um, by the questions. Which, whoa, whoa, whoa. Which Don't say again. sandbagged. Okay, yeah, because that makes well, it sound like Tucker so, did something wrong, but he walked into a trap, basically. Like he, Yes. He, and he did again today, or not today, this weekend, um, for this event, and once again, on the same topics, interestingly, with Tucker. But So it, it seemed that... 
it seemed you're right. It seems like it, almost that Tucker had decided beforehand which um, which GOP candidates were two faced, insincere globalists in the bag for interest Tucker doesn't like. And Tucker brought a dagger with him and said, I'm going to knife some of these guys and good luck to them. Yeah. And he both, and even some of the guys who you thought that would be like just fine. Like I thought, I really thought Tim Scott sucked. He was terrible. Yeah. I thought he was awful. I thought this, he would get up and tr start doing crowd work and like almost what Bill Clinton used to do that to engage and walk around. You know, like, Tucker Carlson was just there face to face having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And then you turn away from Tucker and start appealing directly to the crowd despite Tucker to show him that like uh, uh, the, the, that um, disrespect. You are effing asking for it. Oh yeah, and a bunch and, of them and tried. Tucker didn't then... abide it. He he didn't. He would look. He would give an odd stare or look a quizzical look when people would stand up and start working the crowd as if you faker, you phony, you fraud. Right. And he was right. So so what what this was is that Tucker Carlson almost um, um, fraud sessions, where if you tried to do act like a can I help you? What do you need? Figure it out. There's a lot of devices in this We're house. Not, yeah. Figure it out with Sally and James. Tell them they have to figure it out how to involve include everybody for like one hour. That's um, so. So let's listen to a little bit of this. This is Tucker, and here's Tim Scott. You know the Third Absolutely. World War very quickly. So why not force a peace? How would you we do that? Do well, you could tell Ukraine. But already, like, why are you asking him? How would you do that? I know. Who's running for president? Force a peace? How would you do that? It tells you that, that, that Tim Scott thought that he'd be going nowhere near having himself to answer this question. Well, yeah. He thought he had a spiel ready for Ukraine. He didn't expect somebody to find an inside straight on his you know, campaign of messaging. No, he expected the question, like, should we help Ukraine or not? You know, kind of like vague where he could be like, you know, yes, we need to push back on Putin in Europe, but also we're not going to put American boots on the ground or whatever. Some like foreign policy establishment answer where he didn't expect Tucker to go like, why wouldn't you make peace in Ukraine? Right. And that's already <laughs> some moments, minutes into the into his interview with Tucker, where you could tell that there was already consternation because he did was not getting the tongue bath that he thought he would be getting when he went to one of these summits. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have you have brought in to be you have brought in to be the host essentially a more spiteful, venomous, but hugely politically astute David Letterman at his peak. Yeah, this Tucker is a quicker and better thinker than these people. He's smart. He's funny. He has his own opinions, and he doesn't let stuff slide. Right. He doesn't, and it's funny because we were listening because we were as we were driving home today. We were driving through some parts of New Hampshire that did not have um, quality uh, wireless access, so we were scanning the radio stations for some kind of like news current events type content and like there was 
There was on whatever, were we, was it Vermont NPR, New Hampshire NPR? It was New York of, NPR in Vermont. So, but we were hearing this, they were interviewing somebody, an author who wrote a book about the crack epidemic and like, they don't like push people for answers at all. And people like don't answer the question that they're being asked. And then it's just like, tra-la-la, let's move on. You know, it, they asked, the interviewer asked this author about the crack epidemic because obviously he's a big liberal and didn't like the 94, was mad about the 94 crime bill still mm -hmm. and all yes, this stuff. Yes, yeah, you know they, the, the team. Da, 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 da. And so the person asked him like, well, what types of policies would have been better? And he's like, well, I'm not a legislator, you know, like I know that this right. really wasn't good, but you know, it the crack epidemic ended anyway. And like, and and then it's like there's no moving on. They they just do like it's fine that he just doesn't yes. answer it. And like and it's actually when you start to watch and see like who actually presses politicians to give answers on things, it's actually rare that interviewers follow up on questions. Especially the TV politicians guys. Politicians give a politician -y answer that doesn't answer the question. And it's a rare interviewer who actually says, wait, but you didn't answer my question, which was a direct, simple question. Right. Right. So war very quickly. So why not force a peace? How would which you we do that? Do well, you could tell Ukraine, and they are a client state of the United States, without American backing, there's kind of no Ukraine. We're literally paying the salaries of their bureaucrats. Um, we want you to sit down, as they tried to do, but were stopped by our government, um, and stop this war, and, yeah. and reach a peace as as one does, where both sides, you know, can see. By the way, just once again, mm -hmm. Tim Scott needs. He is Tim, Tucker is facing Tim Scott. Tim Scott is facing the audience. Right. I think he's trying to also signal, trying to take away some of the format to use. For him in the audience, because you know there's going to be eyes on this event, and it looks terrible because he's having to look over to the right at Tucker, but you know he's facing the audience. Mm -hmm. It's terrible. What he should be doing here is engaging in debate on a serious level of thinking. Think out loud. Workshop it if you need to. Right. Because Tucker's very engaged, and if you're not very engaged, and this guy is, you're going to look like an a-hole, which is how he looks. Need some of their interests. Like, why wouldn't that be in our interest to do that? I think the faster we get to peace, the better off we are. What we don't want to do, from my perspective, is allow ourselves to ask for a premature peace that cannot be achieved as the alliances continue to come together. Uh, to the extent that we can find our path out of this situation, the better off we are. So what's the point at which we'll know that we've achieved our goal? Just, and, and I say that within the context of having watched 20 years of occupation in Afghanistan where nobody could answer the question, what's the point? Yes. And no one in Congress ever asked that question, amazingly. But hyperbole by Tucker. A lot of people ask that question. Dave. Yeah. But, but I get what he's saying. So what is, the goal, what is the specific goal here? Yeah. So I would say that the objective should be for Zelensky and Ukraine to be able to achieve victory by maintaining as much of their territory as they possibly can. And then seeing the resources that we've deployed, along with our Western alliances, Achieving the peace that I believe comes when you get these two folks to sit down and have a conversation that allows them to determine where those lines will be drawn for the next hundred years. So what he did there is say we have to fight some more war and then we'll do your thing, Tucker, and go to the table. Right. I mean, he essentially gave every answer there. Mm-hmm. 
which is not great. I'm going to listen back for a second. Western again. Alliance is 20 years of occupation in Afghanistan where nobody could answer the question. What's the point? Yes. And no one in Congress ever asked that question. Amazingly. So what is the what is the specific goal here? Yeah. So I would say that the objective should be for Zelensky and Ukraine to be able to achieve victory by maintaining as much of their territory as they possibly can. And then seeing the resources that we've deployed, along with our Western alliances, achieving the peace that I believe comes when you get these two folks to sit down and have a conversation that allows them. It's a, it's, it's a it's, total it, word salad answer. It is. It is. And, you know, coming to 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 retake as much of their of their property as we think of their land as we think that they're able to. Well, maybe that's now. Yeah, maybe this is it. Maybe this would be a good time. Um, here we go on immigration. I, I can't imagine many people would disagree with that. I wonder what you do with the millions of foreign nationals here illegally, many with fake papers, uh, who are here. Like, what do you do with them? You become president. Yes. Sworn in January 2025, and you've got, let's say, 7 million people who've come in in the last four years. Do you, I mean, what do you do with them? Do you deport them? I think it's a very difficult task to deport them all at one time. But here's what we make sure they never do is you never break the law and become an American citizen by breaking the laws. Well, hold on. Wait, wait, would you deport any of them? How many would you deport? I, I think you have to start the process of identifying where they are. Listen, listen, this is a really important question. I hope. Oh, I, you have to start the process of identifying where they are. Listen, listen, this is a really important identif- a question, he says, as he turns back to the crowd to start to do crowd work. Right. And hit his stump messaging, whatever he's going to do. The thing is, is that what Tucker's doing is he's going back 20 years to when, to before all of the careful, slow, traveling, messaging, massaging of, of vocabulary had succeeded by Democrats and going back to basic logic and right. the truth. The truth is, if you're trespassing, get the F out. That is what you expect. That is the truth. That is why when... Uh, illegals used to come into this country and authority figures showed up, they would split, bolt, and run. Because they knew that they were doing something wrong. (laughs) They knew that they were breaking American laws. They knew they weren't supposed to be in here. There is a process. There are people who are in line doing the right thing right now, and it's taking them years and a lot of money in some cases to get this done to do it the right way. Yeah. What Tucker's saying is the natural truth. This is what we all know. But... This guy, Tim Scott, is so afraid to look back at what is absolutely naturally, logically, obviously the truth, that he's that he's hiding, essentially he's hiding amongst the crowd now, hoping that they'll give him some relief, even if, with applause or even the gazes they'll look at him, because Tucker's not. Tucker's asking questions where he doesn't want to engage Tucker on this because he knows he's wrong. He knows he's being a coward. He knows he's afraid. And he knows what the right thing is to believe and to do, but he doesn't want to say it because he's freaking scared. He's scared what what MSNBC is going to say about him if he says what, which is not, by the way, and this is what's so interesting to me, too, is because Tucker clearly has a point of view here that he's not afraid to 
put out there. Um, but Tucker in this way is much closer to where many, many more voters are than any one of the DC people or the media people who are afraid to say stuff like this, right? Tucker's much more, I mean, you have residents of Chicago, one of the most liberal cities in the country, complaining about the resources that the city's devoting to illegal immigrants mm -hmm. and why can't they do more for the people who are here? You know, this is this is an issue that unites a lot of American citizens who vote um, and who understand the simple truth of this matter is that you cannot maintain a country if you do not have a border. You know what? That totally reminds me of something that you just... A point you made, mm -hmm. Alice. Here's a good example. Here's a great example of that. This is a video made in Portland, Maine. Okay. By a gentleman you're familiar with him, mm -hmm. Edward Tomich. Mm -hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes. Um, and this is made just earlier today. Because, of course, because, of course, we've had tornado warnings up here. So listen to this. This is exactly what you're saying. When people in Chicago are saying, why are you helping illegals, but you're not helping us? Right. This is a reporter from the Meanwhile, Edward Tomich, essentially making the same point, but in a more stark way, considering there's tornadoes coming, and we're not used to those up here. Hi, everybody. I'm at the park and ride in Portland, Maine here next to Interstate 295. There's a tornado and flood warning for Southern Maine this morning. And I just wanna show you the conditions that some of our fellow Americans are living in. So here we see there's a line of tents here. There's about 30 tents in this encampment. Um, there's also a bag of Narcan there that they used to treat overdoses. There's been about 4,000 overdoses in the state of Maine, over 250 deaths, almost 300 deaths most of those being from fentanyl. So they have a bag of Narcan over there. You can see it. And there's just um, people living in, in total desolation without anyone helping them. And I'll point out that about five minutes away from here, there's a shelter that's housing about 300 migrants. These are people who are here on claims of asylum and they get 24 hour shelter and are fed three meals a day. I spoke with one woman here named Victoria who said that she had never seen any city officials, the mayor, the city manager, people from the Department of Health and Human Services. She has never seen anyone visit here. She said she has seen several people die right in front of her. She sees some, she's seen someone get killed, shot with a gun here through a tent. Um, she <laughs> estimated there are about 50 to 75 people living both here and at a separate encampment over by Frederick Street, I believe she said. Now, they used to live in an encampment over by the Trader Joe's in Portland here in a big encampment that was cleaned out a little bit ago. Um, there's really no housing options for these people at the moment. Uh, the city is tackling the problem of where they're going to put all the migrants that are going to be kicked out of the Portland Exposition Building in August. Um, I have yet to hear a really solid plan of what the city is going to do with these 50 to 75 people that are here that are dying of overdoses, that are in an entirely unsafe, unsanitary situation. The reason I point out the Portland Exposition Building is because about two weeks ago, the migrants there staged a protest saying they weren't getting enough culturally preferred food, 
saying that their beds were uncomfortable, that they weren't being able, they weren't able to take a shower there. And within two hours, you had the mayor, the city manager, and the Portland Department of Health and Human Services director there to hear their concerns and, and tell everybody, give a big press briefing about the problems there. Um, and it just seems like that is not the case for these people who are out there in tents today during a tornado warning. It's perfectly well said. Right. That's yours. There's a tornado coming to fling your tent, you know, 5,000 feet away and you in it. Mm-hmm. And there's nobody there. There's nobody there. The government that's supposed to love you so much? Nope. Meanwhile, the holiday no, they're inn... they're loving you right into the homelessness and fentanyl crisis. Is that, and I mean, like, we've talked about that on this show a lot of times about how, you know, it, policies of understanding and tolerance and love ultimately lead to these homeless encampments. Absolutely <laughs> they do. They do. And you're just putting in... And, I, and for the, the migrants there... If they're allowed to complain about the food because these progressive ideologues are such good people that they're going to go change the cuisine right. for them for free, well, then, I mean, I'd, I'd complain too. I know. I'd say I'd like some crab rangoon. That's what I always had back <laughs> home and with lobster sauce on it, please, and um, a handle of vodka, if you don't mind. It's, I'm used to that. I don't want you to... It's amazing. It's amazing to me. But we don't miss this. Because those folks who come into our country illegally, even now those he's who are seeking asylum, go around our country, and some of the asylum dates Tucker's for your looking at him, at him totally. He's giving him. Baffled. I'm about to stab you. Baffled. He's baffled. Looks. Like what you're standing up. What, you, I was just talking to you here. Court appearance is 2033. Ten years from now, so finding. Those who have come to our country illegally has to be a part of the job number one. And that means that we're going to have to take a look panoramically across our country and make sure that we stop this thing called sanctuary cities and sanctuary states that receive our resources to make sure that the federal government cannot figure out where the folks are. So in order for us to achieve the goals that the really brilliant guy on the stage, I'm not talking about myself, wants us to achieve. That was a compliment, by the way. Oh, sorry. I went right over my head. I was like, (laughs) Well, make sure I, I get it. Sometimes I give compliments. I have to let people Brilliant's know. Brilliant's a little strong. Yeah, okay, okay. Really smart cookie over here. <laughs> Achieve. We have to f- identify. That is called um, condescending. Yeah. Really smart cookie over here. In other words, he's one of the smartest. Now, I'm smarter, I obviously. I happen to know a little more about yes, this. Yes, and that's why I'm engaging you in walking around, uh, you know... Like somebody, like a cult leader would, or motivational speaker on the stage, TED Talk was, you know. So you're really learning something from me. So don't be distracted by the things he keeps asking me that are making me feel uncomfortable as I'm trying to do my thing here. I don't know. Like I'm out on Tim Scott, and I'm not going to pretend that that will be an easy task. But that should be the response. Well, but wait a second. The federal government's like knows where everyone is because everyone has a has a smartphone and they're yes, tracking you. Yes, yes, you know. So like we know anyone using a fake social security number want to just like drop them off in Tijuana. Bye bye. Well, I'm going to appoint Tucker Carlson as my bye bye ambassador no, but, to figure this out. So we're gonna work together on this. And I, well, I'm a sincere question. I, like I'm maybe the well. reason that people come by the millions. Yes uninvited illegally making a mockery of the rule of law i have to obey the law but someone from haiti doesn't or what 
but they come because they know that no politician will say, come and you're, you're leaving. Like, they don't put up with this in Japan. Absolutely. Well, they don't put like up you're gone. They don't Why not actually. do that? I, I mean, that's the end of Tim Scott, as far as I'm concerned. You, you can't... I think so. I mean, and also, I thought Asa Hutchinson and Mike Pence are also toast. Well, let's start one at a time. Asa okay. Hutchinson first. I mean, you knew that this was not going to be a good situation for... Um, <laughs> for Asa Hutchinson. <laughs> uh, okay. Um, okay, here we go. Here we go. And he gets salty. Asa gets salty. I'm an Asa Hutchinson fan. I have been since impeachment. I'll always like him, but it ain't his year. In face. And I believe in a limited role of government. And so... It's about the trans know, issue in I don't think that California ought to be able to tell parents, you need to have gender-affirming care for the children. The government should not do that. And in the same way, let's keep the government out of it unless it's that extreme case, and let's let parents guide the children. I stand with parents. So, and, and amen for standing with parents, and I think everyone in the room would agree with that. Um, but the reason I asked the question was not to bring up a sore subject, which I, I know that it is, uh, <laughs> but to ask if in the subsequent two years, you, you had said that you drew the line at castration of, of physical altercation of a child's body because it's permanent. But in the subsequent two years, I think we've learned that hormone therapy for prepubescent children is permanent. It changes the bone structure. It changes the brain of the child. It, a lot of people believe, including me, that it, it destroys the child's life. But it is permanent. It's not reversible. So given that and the standard you just articulated, do you have different feelings? I mean, this is a permanent change we are making to a child. Why would we allow that if we don't allow surgery? Well, you, permanent change is one issue, but also hormonal treatment is a different issue and can be a different issue. And whenever you look at the bill that I vetoed, there was not any grandfather clause in there. Again, uh, I respect legislators that have a different view, but I think independently, I think of the parents, I think of the Constitution, and actually the court, if you read the decision of the federal judge that struck it down as unconstitutional, really sided with parents as well. But how is, it, treat but how is it treatment? I guess that's my question. If you have a child who says, who's born a boy, I want to become a girl, he hasn't gone through puberty yet, he's say 10. Is it treatment? to prevent him from going through the natural process of adolescence? How is that treatment? It, it seems not like treatment. It seems like something else. Well, you have to... Tucker, I hope that we'll be able to talk about some issues. Oh, I know that well, this is one of the biggest issues in the country, and I think I would every person oh, in this room would agree that it is a, a central issue because it, these are children who are being altered permanently, and you can defend that alteration, that change, if you like, but there's really no debate about whether or not it's permanent. And so I think it's fair to ask you in a calm, rational, and I very much hope polite way, why you would support that. Oh, oh I hope we we'll be able to talk to some, about some of the issues. In other words, Tucker's getting in the way of... Of, of the speech that I wanted to give to this crowd. Right, my boring stump speech. And I will stop with this, but you have repeatedly described delaying a child's natural progression from childhood to adulthood through adolescence, you describe that as, quote, treatment. And so that raises the, I mean, clearly you've answered the question. You believe it's treatment. You believe, I suppose, that people can change their sex. Because if you don't believe that, you wouldn't call it treatment, would you? 
When Tucker well, has a lot more applause lines than you. The, God created two genders, and that's what I have stated. And whenever you look at the decisions on that, no, I don't, I don't support that. I wouldn't make that decision in my family yes. about and changing genders. And I don't believe that taxpayers' funds should be used for transgender surgery or treatment through Medicaid or Medicare or in our military. Yes. I don't believe that that should happen. Uh, because uh, traditionally, whether it's the Hyde Amendment that you prohibit funding of abortion with taxpayers' dollars because it violates the religious commitment of many people, the same principle should apply here. I do think it's funny that he's like, and it just shows how some of these people just don't get where the country is today at all. Like the fact that he would compare it to abortion, which I think is yep. an apt comparison because the position that he's articulating really is what was considered like a moderate position on abortion, maybe like 10 years ago or something, which is that like, I wouldn't get one, but you know, woman's right to choose even like that. That was even like the Democrat position, like safe, legal and rare, like, you know, that I'm against abortion, but pro choice, like and we'll have the Hyde Amendment so that for people who is a matter of conscience, we won't like mix government and uh, and abort. And like we've seen where that leads every inch that you give Democrats turns into like shout your abortion. Abortion's great. Abortion's a social good you know, Planned Parenthood yep. is selling baby parts. Like, they don't have... And there's nothing that stops them. There's no limiting principle to anything that they do. There's no, like, moderation right. or compromise right. with this. And we've seen this unfold over the last 20 years on every social issue. You can't stake out ground like that with the Democrats. Right. Right. And also, nor the vocabulary. You know, women's health care. Right. You know, it's... Yeah. it's you know, we'll let parents make the medical decisions on medical treatments for their children. These aren't medical treatments. This is off-label experimental use of drugs that's permanently damaging kids. And yes, it is not the same thing to ban medical treatments. And like, and you know, and he tried to compare it again to the vaccine too, to say like, well, I'm not just like, I wouldn't force someone to get the vaccine. You shouldn't be forced to get a medical treatment and you shouldn't be, you know, forced to follow my views on medical treatments for transitioning minors. Right? Yes. Like there's a really big difference between forcing someone to get a medical treatment they don't want and banning certain unethical, dark, screwed up, right. long-term damaging medical right. treatments Asa that Hutchinson hurt ran people. to the sweet salvation of the libertarian personal freedom of choice argument. Right. That nobody should be telling families what they should and shouldn't do. It's like, well, yeah, actually, no, we should but, but tell the point families is, yes, in not some to cases, poison their children. Yes, exactly. That, yes, that we should. We shouldn't have, uh, you know, men who are obese twerking in front of them and we shouldn't um, destroy their bodies. Who am I to tell parents not to abuse their children? To each their own. Like, no, that's we don't do that anymore. And we've also seen how that works out because the live and let live Republican Party has, you know, David French telling us that drag queen story hour is one of the blessings of liberty. And like then uh, before you know it, you don't have a public school where you can even send your kid without a drag queen twerking at them. Yeah. And. and people handing out you know undergarments to make them trans and birth control pills it's it's like an out of control situation and the it, the fact that 
they haven't been paying enough attention to the political environment to notice this is in itself disqualifying. So, so it's so interesting, Alice. The Republican Party is now the party of Trump. We can say that, right? Mm-hmm. Essentially, I mean, for the the most part. I mean, obviously there are there are holdouts and and there are different factions of the party now more than ever, but but Trump has the majority of the party. Is a but yeah, but, but, but we, hold on one okay. second. It is interesting though that Tucker represents more of the passions of the Republican Party than Trump does now. Yeah, I I think that's true, and I think what's what's interesting to me is that. I mean, there were a bunch of clips of, of Trump floating around this weekend, too. Um, he was at a TPUSA event, and he did an interview with Maria Bartiromo. Right, so but, but Trump is... is so, but one of the things about Bartiromo, he's big on Ukraine. He's big on vaccines. He's big on the trans stuff. He's right. big on... Uh, what else was he into? Oh, Hillary Clinton. Right. He's into Hillary Clinton now again. He's. It's interesting because he's definitely the leader in the republican party but in some ways he's never been further policy wise from his actual base that loves him and is going to elect him anyway they don't really care right and i think a lot of that's the fact that that he was persecuted by intel agencies that he mm -hmm. didn't give up regardless of all the threats and all the all the knives they had out for him and that they're still persecuting still trying to put him in jail is i think it's almost like uh um, it's oh, yeah. almost like if a symbolic people, nod. Um, right. If you tell people they can't elect Donald Trump, then they're going to go out and vote for him. Right. So this is the moment with Tucker Carlson and, and Asa Hutchinson um, where that I, that I believe solidified Trump-level um, loyal support forever. One of the powers that government did usurp uh, over the past several years is is the right to decide what medicine you take in the form of, of COVID mandates. Um, how did you feel about that? And how many COVID shots did you take? And how do you feel about it now, in retrospect? How many COVID shots did you take? Zero. <laughs> but, but I think it's fair. And I, and you I could tell he that thought that was going to be a gotcha, too. Yeah, right. And you could also tell that Tucker saw it coming. Yeah. That if he does this, I dropped a bomb. I dropped the bomb. The crowd's going to like it very much. Yeah. When I asked you that question, um, and I don't think, honestly, you should be asking people about their medical care, but that became a, a matter of public policy. And I do think that the whole country ought to pause and assess, like, what did we just go through? What, How do we feel about it now? And uh, so it's a very sure. straightforward question. Well, one of the powers... So there you go. So now, Alice, we have kind of run out of time on the on the main show. Um. Well, let's briefly. I mean, I think we hit the major clips from these from these. So let's briefly. Do you want to give your ranking of where? So we covered Asa. We covered Tim Scott, who had some of the worst. And and those were. It's. I don't think it's a coincidence. Those were the first two to go out there today were Tim Scott and Asa Hutchinson. And, and I think they really were not expecting that. You could tell as the day went along, some of the candidates had been watching what happened earlier and tried to adjust a little bit. So then you had Nikki Haley. You had Mike Pence next and then Nikki Haley. Um, Mike Pence was also not great. 
Uh, Nikki Haley, I thought, was as good at being Nikki Haley as Nikki Haley can be. Here's one of the Tucker fans' parts. Would you, may, may I ask, would, would you be, and I, I believe you have a good faith position on this, and we have disagreements on it, but I want to just, I, I can't let you elide over the question of the treatment of Christians. And I, I know, I, I heard and that would again. You be, well, hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f- are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap we're cutting the price of mint unlimited from 30 dollars a month to just 15 dollars a month give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees promote for new customers for limited time unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows full terms at mintmobile.com hey it's ryan reynolds and i'm here with keith co-star of my upcoming film if only in theaters may 17th do you want to tell people the big news all right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. No, but hold on. Would you, you, would you problem be is willing? you don't accept my answer. I just told you that I asked the religious leader in Kiev if it was happening. You asked me if I raised the issue, and I did. And I'm saying I also raised it with incorrect. the Ukrainians, and I was told that there are there are religious leaders who have been working with the Russian military. That is, so that's that they were going back and forth about that. I am going to say, um, that I think Pence did the best. I thought that he was. I think that he was solid. He also was pissed off at Tucker. He mm-hmm. also wanted to play, um, um, you know, he wanted to play a game show host politician, and Tucker really wouldn't. But Pence has his own his own swerve going. He always has. Yeah. You know, um, you know, the very sober, thoughtful kind of thing. Uh, but I also I think Tucker absolutely gave Nikki Haley a tongue bath. I think she looked great. She sounded mm-hmm. great. What I'm saying is that their, her yeah. answers seemed great because he never stabbed her. She'd seem less great, great and less composed if he was stabbing her like he did everybody else. He did ask her who blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, and she equivocated a little bit. Right, there. but then again, you know, I mean that that's a pretty safe place to hide. I mean, you can tank your campaign if right now you're saying that it's it's Joe Biden did it. Yeah, but I mean, he he pushed her a little on some stuff, but not yeah, not enough. I mean, he let her be kind of like cute and fun or whatever she is. Yeah, he you did. know, like and maybe that's because so, she, she's a woman. Maybe he's yeah. Although it, you know, he's not been afraid to go after women in the past. He wrecked Lauren Duca from whatever that was, Teen Vogue, right. right back at the beginning of his show. I I don't think that. He's like afraid to go after Nikki Haley because mm-hmm. she's a woman, but I, but you know I also think she didn't try too hard to like to go over his answers, you right. know, to try I, and steamroll his questions no, with her totally. own little I did speech think that, that she was trying. And to I also do. Did think she the did same have thing. a conversation with him. She was very conversational, yes, and- which some of the others weren't. Like you know. Tim Scott, part of what was going wrong is he kept trying to give a stump speech yeah. in response to Tucker's questions, and Tucker wasn't having that. Nikki Haley didn't really do that to speak of. I didn't think... 
I mean, like, she's polling at 2% or whatever, so it doesn't matter. But I don't think she, like, hurt herself the way Tim Scott or Asa Hutchinson did. Right. She also had a good answer, a headline-making answer on something. I forgot what it was. But it's because she's a 2% she's trying to just grab some headlines. Yeah, so I thought she was fine for what she was. Like, I I don't think it's... Vivek was probably, to me, the biggest, like, breakout... Did, outdid his polling numbers the most of where he was. He was also he was more conversation. He was the most conversational yes. person, and that there. has to do with the fact that he comes from Generation Podcast and he gets it. Um, so let's just go through the list. Another thing you can't say is that maybe January sixth, while appalling on one level, maybe it was not an insurrection. So let me let me talk about. I've, I haven't I haven't talked about this much in the campaign. I'll be very honest with you. You want to know what caused January 6th? There's such a temptation to say that there's one man whose name is unspeakable. We well, can't. No, first of all, it's QAnon. Put up. It's QAnon. It's QAnon. <laughs> you want to know what caused January 6th? Is pervasive censorship in this country in the lead up to January 6th? You tell people in this country they. He ain't wrong. Yeah. He was very good. He was. Um, he talked. He talked mm-hmm. to Tucker about stuff. He had a conversation, and he came off great. I thought. And, you know, I hear a lot of people saying they really like Vivek. Yes, I also and, hear a lot of people think he's too smarmy and Ted Tucky. And I get, I get that. Yeah, I do welcome it though. The I like. Chad is very upset that you thought Mike Pence was the best. Everyone's. I thought Pence came says off to put down your crack pipe. And, <laughs> and I thought Pence came off um, pretty well. He took a beating. There's no doubt about that. And mm-hmm. and it, you know, I think a lot of people. First of all, it's a very f- interesting thing because a lot of, there are a lot of people, and maybe some of you in the chat are some of these people who will never forgive January uh, Mike Pence for January sixth mm-hmm. for his role in not using that maneuver to do whatever. Um, I always liked Pence. I always thought he did, good, mm-hmm. did a good job for Trump. And uh, I thought he did a good job here um, dealing with a full-on frontal attack. Maybe that's what I mean, is that he's the stabbing victim who actually managed to walk out of the hospital. <laughs> you know, the others are, like, put on ice. to Asa and Tim Scott right. are, like, dead. And then I thought second best after Vivek was probably Ron DeSantis. I thought he was... Um, you know, I mean, he. Get, I think he said all the right things. I think um, I found his delivery to be kind of shouty and like unnatural, a little bit. Yes, yes. This uh, mess a year from year and a half from now, say, and let's just say it's static. It's where it is right now. What do you do about it? Like, what? How do you one, act? One, Europe needs to do more. This is their backyard. We can't. We have NATO countries that don't produce support for their own defenses and we're supposed to do it and we're taking away weapons and ammo that could go to respond to contingencies overseas so we would do more in terms of the pacific and the goal should be to bring it to a conclusion you bring it to a conclusion in a way that's a sustainable peace and that doesn't reward uh, aggression and you have to be able to use different levers uh, that you have I mean, for example one of the leverages i would use uh, vis-a-vis russia is I would do our own energy uh, exploration uh, and send it over to Europe so they don't have to rely on Putin. I would stop uh, giving Iran a free pass like Biden is. because So I thought DeSantis was a little nervous, a little fidgety in this. Mm-hmm. But I thought he was fine. He was fine. Yeah, I don't think he hurt his uh, front-runner status in the not-Trump runner-up primary. Right. No, I agree. And uh, Chris Christie, interestingly, like Trump, 
didn't go. Yeah, I know. Uh, what's he thinking? Which is interesting because you would think he would need to for his... And he disagrees with Tucker on uh, Ukraine, so you think he would be there to defend his position. Be there, but also because you know that that the other... the other Almost everybody else in the field came off like wusses, and Christie's supposed to be Mr. Tough Guy now. Yeah. So go there and show people how tough you are. Once again, I'm stealing this from a tweet, but it's also something that I've been noticing myself the last mm-hmm. few years. That Christie's been on ABC being the tough guy, you know, next to uh, you know pundits and talking heads. Well, go out and do the yeah. real thing. Well, and did you see that um, Tucker said that um, they asked? Yeah, and he said no. Um, they asked Christy on, and he wouldn't go on with him. Yeah, there's. We'll have to get to a whole. There's a whole other universe of stuff we got to get to. But right now we have this, Allison. Uh, we have the Chelsea Fire Wicked Hotline brought to us by Chelsea Fire Wicked Hot Sauce, now available in three different flavors. Um, and they, of course, bring us the chat chat where you can leave a message for the show. All right. Okay. Okay. Come on, we all know that the Coke is Joe Biden's. It's not Hunter's. It's Joe Biden's. Half the time, he seems like he's completely hungover and totally out of his mind. Mm-hmm. He shakes hands with ghosts. He could barely walk. He trips and falls. All these other things. And then all of a sudden, he makes speeches where he's completely coherent if he's not reading from a teleprompter. But at the same time, sometimes he's wide awake. It's got to be Joe Biden's coke. And then they just get on a plane. And they go, wee. We're going to go over to talk to NATO people. Come on, man. <laughs> so, Fritz, and also, how about the, him snuggling with that girl? Did you see that? In, He's in, creepy. He's always been creepy. Ooh, that's a tough one. Yeah. That's Ugh. a tough one. And as we know, as everyone who has an elderly who dementia patient relative and has ever dealt with, you know, caring for an elderly relative who's losing it knows it only gets worse, that stuff. The, like, yeah. handsiness of old men losing their memory. Ugh. Not great. Talk about inflation. I had to uh, replace a main circuit breaker in our breaker box Mm because our lights went out and killed the power to the house. So that thing was shot. So other than having to, like, you know, kill the power from the street and all that stuff, I had to go buy a breaker. Imagine a 100-amp breaker cost $84 for one breaker. Wow. Yeah, yeah, as a matter of fact, Fritz, um, I I got an oil change, and it was $81 for the oil change, which used to be, like... I know, yeah. Everything's ridiculous. Hey guys, Steve from Gloucester. How are you doing? I was wondering if Jerry Callahan is as intense off air as he is on air. Because on air, he totally cracks me up whenever he calls Biden an empty husk or Kamala a half-wit. And I was just wondering if he was that intense off air. Thanks, bye. When talking politics... Exactly like that. He's exactly. Oh, I have a little Jerry Callahan T-shirt yeah. on. You can get that in the merch store, brother. He's exactly like that off air when talking politics. He's very animated. A, a, a few times um, when I worked at RKO, he was he was at uh, EEI, and so we all it, it, there was one big room with rooms breaking off on them, and so we had this shared area. So I'd run into Jerry here and there, and I like we'd talk a little politics sometimes i was very shy then to talk to him i was such mm-hmm. a big fan and he was very imposing and he walked on that floor like he looked he looked like he was about to kick somebody's ass but um 
but he was always very intense. If you talk to him about politics, mm-hmm. man, he would get loud and serious about it, and he didn't give a damn. So he is exactly like that. Yeah. Um, I find him to be... Uh, I find him to be funnier on the show, on his show. But I do think mm-hmm. you should bring in the co-host more often because I think he's even... Jerry's a funny guy. He is, yeah. Um, let's see. KB1SXV. Kevin from Bristol? KB? Um, I think that may be Fred's the Cat's Twitter handle. Oh, is it? I think it may be. Yes. You can't tell me that's not Joe Biden's coke. (laughs) The guy can't even tie his own shoes. I know, Fritz. I know. I know. I know you believe that. I don't think it is. I mean, I do think that they they hit him up with stuff, certainly. But I don't know if it's that he's a coke guy. You think it's prescribed? Although he supposedly doesn't drink at all. He's got to do something. A, A guy who's, he's really vain. Those kind of people generally do something. (coughs) <coughs> this is Ferguson or Biden? Oh, oh Biden! I think it's on Biden. I'm not sure. Oh no, my name is Biden. I'm suffocating because I can't even speak. That wasn't my coke. It wasn't mine. Oh, I see. This is actually President Biden who's called in about. It wasn't mine. It wasn't my son's either. It wasn't his. It was Hunter's. That's going with Hunter's. I'm sorry about that, Fritz. I think it absolutely was uh, Hunter's. Steve from Merrimack. Hey, Steve. Hi, Steve. With a message for all Chat Chat listeners going forward. <laughs> if you're going to leave a Chat Chat message, please leave it completely anonymously. Do not give Tom any heads up. Do not give Tom any opportunity to do, quote, research, unquote, about your message. Going forward, Tom, I'm going scorched earth, my foul. I'm going nuclear. I am going to torture you the way no one has ever been tortured. Got it? This is going to be beautiful. And I don't know who that raving queen was what? that you had uh, played in terminable uh, sound cuts of, but Jerry Rig is a thing. It is not. Watch me Jerry Rig this show. <laughs> Hello. Good night. <laughs> Jerry rigged is not a thing. It is jury rigged. I understand. I'll expect a thorough and robust mea culpa from you, Steve. And kindly mark your messages <laughs> with a little bit of information so that I might prepare myself. Did I did I pre-listen? No, no. I just saw the name of. That's right. Oh, right. That's oh, dang. No, I needed a thorough description. If there's going to be a personal <laughs> attack, I need to see what's coming. Dang it. Oops. Sorry. 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 Sorry, sorry, sorry. Uh, thank you so much for listening, everybody. Um, appreciate it as always. If you are watching on the Patreon live stream, just stay there because we do have more stuff to cover. There's a few more stories that I definitely want to get to, um, and we can do that after this. Um, of course, if you enjoy listening to the show for free, you can do that uh, at burnbarrelpodcast.com. Has all the places to listen. It has the chat chat to leave a message. YouTube, Rumble, all those places. Say la vie. We even have the sound today. We found the backwards sound now.
I guess we did. Tom's leaving me uh, by myself right now. To He's going to go make himself a drink, he says. And he asked if I would talk for a bit. So um, I'm going to, yes, talk for a bit. And um, I'm going to tell you that people are freaking out that The Sound of Freedom is doing really well in movie theaters. It actually went up its second week in theaters, which um, is kind of unheard of. And so it's boggling people's minds that it's doing as well as it is there seems to be some debate on it there's also people kind of attacking it from the right now saying that it's like a psyop and it's controlled opposition i don't know i'm i think we're still gonna go see it actually um but we're you know you know we're conventional enough we're not that deep in the matrix that we're gonna say that it's actually like controlled opposition we'll just still go see it. It makes the liberals mad enough that that we're going to see the Sound of Freedom. People are upset that it's doing well. I saw somebody on Twitter yelling at the New York Times because they like wrote a legitimate review on it saying that they're like platforming QAnon and all this stuff and freaking out. I think the more normalizing we do of like regular conservative positions like, you know, sex trafficking children is bad that um, that's like good for our country ultimately. Uh, anyway, so that's the Sound of Freedom movie update. I'm also going to go probably see Barbie and Oppenheimer this weekend, even though, you know, I know that's like more conventional Hollywood, but I'm into both those things. So I'm going to do that. Um, a few affirmative action updates. Um, one is this crazy story. I don't know how much you guys have looked into this, but basically New York City used to have this teaching exam. Um, that you had to take and pass to become a teacher in New York City. And it turns out like black and Hispanic applicants did not pass this teaching exam at the same rate as white applicants to teaching positions. So there was a big lawsuit that said the test was racist. And they actually have now the city of New York has settled with them and they're going to pay them because of this racist test. Have you heard about this, Tom, at all? So there there was yeah, an exam. A test, to test become, for teachers. A test for teachers right. to become teachers in New York. And the test right. was racist. Nobody's shown how the test was racist or demonstrated like a way in which the test was racist. But black and Hispanic teachers teaching applicants did not pass it at the same rates as white applicants. Yeah. <laughs> so now they are going to pay um, these people who failed the test, literally millions of dollars, all the salary they would have made as teachers plus interest and now pay them pensions as though they had been teachers because they couldn't pass this test. That is amazing. Is this thing going to be appealed? <laughs> no, this is, you know, this is they settled, so it's not an appeal. The Amazing. city of New York settled Amazing. with these people. Oh. So they interviewed the New York Post, interviewed this one guy who passed the test a bunch of different times. He's getting $2 million for failing this test. About 5,200 black and Hispanic former Big Apple teachers or once aspiring educators are expected to collect $1.8 billion in judgments. The city is it has set aside to pay Amazing. this out. The largest legal payout in city history. And 
part of the problem is the current tests that they use for teachers, black and Hispanic candidates still don't do as well on those. So like, Uh what are we just setting up for more of this? But yeah, so there's um, at least 225 people who've already been notified that they're going to get a payout of at least a million dollars for failing the test between 94 and 2014. That's uh, okay. Well, and okay. court rulings found the exam violated civil rights laws because more white candidates passed. The case is expected to generate hundreds of other future million dollar rewards. Herman Grimm, 64 of Queens, was awarded the biggest judgment to date, a jaw dropping $2,055,383. It includes $1.6 million in back pay for time never clocked, lost interest accrued, and other compensation. That is the best deal going in the world to get. million in back pay for a job you never had to work because you were not qualified to do it. Um, Okay, well... (laughs) The judgments are based on what the teacher candidates would have earned had they passed the test and worked in the city's public school system. So the further back in time they failed the test, the more money they're entitled to. First of all, the, the, the one of the problems is going to be here that the tests aren't racist. But now we've established now that the new criteria for whether something racist or not is if the outcomes are unequal. Right. So that's what we're working with now. So the, much like this is as if Ibram X. Kendi is making uh, – is, is like sitting on the state supreme courts now. Mm-hmm. It, yep. If the outcomes aren't equal, there must have been something racist because yep. you weren't. There was not an anti-racist policy built built in to make sure that outcomes were equal. So they were mm-hmm. racist. So there you go. I say, f you, New York. You deserve this. I hope that all of these people. They uh, also are going to pay their pension checks and health insurance for the great. time that they didn't work as teachers because they didn't pass the teacher test and pay the people's lawyer is, fees for suing the city. This is just what happens when you decide to. Broom said he's in disbelief, but the money can't come fast enough because he's racked up serious debt on his queen's home and credit cards. He couldn't recite examples of why the test was biased, but he recalled hiring private tutors and studying for it in the 90s before failing many times. I can't tell you how many times I took it. A lot, a lot. Who the freak settled this? What is this? (laughs) The city of New York settled with these plaintiffs. After that, he made a living as a substitute teacher until passing the current certification test last year and going to work as a special ed teacher in Harlem. I want to stay as normal as possible, he insisted. I'm not going to be like a millionaire. Uh, I mean, the the whole thing is so insane to me that they would settle this case like this and, you know... They're saying that, like, this test was discriminatory because, what, black people didn't pass at the same rates? It's Can you imagine what it costs the taxpayers? Why would you possibly, possibly want to pay taxes in the city of New York anymore with stupid stuff like this going on? Get the bleep out of Dodge, right? <laughs> Why are you paying these people to make decisions like this for, like, your kids' education? Oh, we didn't let the incompetent teachers pass the test. And like, and it's everywhere. So it's, this is de Blasio mm-hmm. did this. Yeah. Of course. Um, but yeah, just an incredible, incredible decision. And then like also in affirmative action education news of the day, did you see the Cambridge Public Schools no. story? That's, um, this is from the Boston Globe. Cambridge schools divided over algebra. 
So let me see. Sorry, they're paywall. I'm just reading the, the standards on... of the standards. It said it should be based on what would be easy for blacks or whites to hire people who are not qualified and change the requirements because a certain group didn't pass the test as BS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's... It's an insane, an insane decision that was made by the city to do this. Um, so basically the... So now you've got to create a test and now craft the test with race in mind, hoping that you're not going to have answers that white people will get too much. What's that going to look like? Yeah. You don't want any questions that show the difference between the qualified candidates and the not qualified candidates. Because right. Well, in fact, you want questions that will be personalized to the day-to-day realities of minorities. Apparently. Because you need to, few, less whites need to be getting, getting this test right. Right. Doing well in this. So Cambridge is, uh, this isn't about teacher exams. This is about the actual students. But the Cambridge Public Schools, which I assume I haven't, uh, don't have the numbers in front of me right now, but I assume they stayed closed one of the longest out there in Cambridge, Massachusetts, probably during the pandemic. They've noticed that they have a lot of disparities in their education system in Cambridge. So what do you think they're doing to tackle the disparities, honey, in the Cambridge Public Schools? So in grades? Um, particularly, this is um, no. Is this disparities this is in grades? over middle school algebra? There have there's a lot of disparities in how people are performing in middle school algebra. Um, they're going to eliminate algebra. Yeah, actually, okay. yeah, they're getting rid of advanced math classes in middle school. Cambridge school leaders say they can't reinstate the advanced math classes in middle school. Many students continue to reel from pandemic-related learning loss and are not ready to take algebra before high school. And offering it just for those who are prepared, they say, would only widen the persistent disparities of educational performance among subgroups. Okay. (laughs) So, now obviously some parents in Cambridge, because a lot of people pay obscene amounts of money to live in Cambridge. So we're not going to (laughs) have schools that are good enough, us Democrats, to teach your kids because they have extra challenges, some of which is based on the fact that their neighborhoods suck because the Democrats who were elected to protect you have failed there. So now what we're going to do, since our Democrat voting teachers won't or can't seem to teach good enough to teach you we're now going to delete the subject matter. <laughs> yeah. No more algebra in middle school. Can't be done. Can't teach middle schoolers algebra. There's too many disparities. If we only teach the students who are ready to learn algebra, it's going to widen the disparity. Now, there are undoubtedly some black middle schoolers who love algebra and are great at it. Yeah. And there's... Certain- Too bad to be you. Sucks to be you. Yeah. Learn to be a crappier student... And you'll be rewarded. Yeah. So this is Democrat education policy. And then they're going to turn around and demand that the students that they refused to teach algebra to when they were ready to learn algebra and then were behind in math for the rest of their high school careers, they're going to demand that they be led into college at the same rate as students who were taught algebra when they were younger. Right. And then they're going to um, fail out of those colleges. Because their school district didn't prepare them. Exactly. And then they demand that they get uh, their debt relieved, Mm -hmm. even though government, the same government has pushed them into those colleges. Right. And then they're going to have, they're going to underachieve. Mm -hmm. And 
suddenly they're going to need be needed to be on the social safety net because of government again. Government, which is a whole along the way, made a kneecap them right repeatedly, steered them into all these bad. Or decisions. in college, you have to say stop teaching the stuff that they're not getting. Yeah, that's so just true. degrade all of academia until we've got no more disparities, and we'll look up and see somehow that Xi Jinping is now running the United States. Well, totally. and that is a thing that's happening at colleges where, you know, there were a bunch of elite colleges. I know during the pandemic, Brown made classes pass-fail during the pandemic. Um, and, you know, that, that a lot of this grade inflation and stuff, like they... People demanded that they not be allowed to fail classes during the pandemic. So that's like where we're headed is just, you know, that it's you're purely showing up, getting the certification that you went to the college and expecting that to be worth the same as a college diploma used to be worth when it meant that you had actually learned something useful. One of the things that I thought was super interesting this week was um, the New York Times did a big article on essentially they called it like why we're why all this student loan debt is never going to actually get paid off. And one of the graphs that was in that article was kind of floating around. And I think the point they were trying to make with uh, this graph is that like structural inequities lead to inequities in student loan debt because the graph showed the percent of original debt that's still owed over time by men versus by women. And what's really interesting is that, um, so you start both at like, they both start at the 100% of the amount of debt borrowed, right? And then like, they both kind of go up because there's interest and they're not paying it off. And then they go down over time. But the women's amount of debt that they still hold or have not paid off is much, much higher than men's. And we know, for example, that women go to college at higher rates, right? And and I think the point that liberals think this graph makes is that like structural inequities mean that like women are more burdened by college debt, which I think is true. But I think the structural inequity is that we're sending women to college who shouldn't be going to college or getting these loans in the first place. Right. And and one of the what's one of the reasons as well that they can't pay off these debt cells? Um I forgot what this is called. Pink The pink tax? No, no, like you, you know, you know how the women's stuff, beauty supplies, et cetera, are pink and more expensive. Mm-hmm. You know what this yeah, is? Yeah, they call that the pink tax or pink razor tax. Pink tax, yes, yes, pink that's what it is. Tax, yeah. So, like at every moment, just like with the students, with black students, we've been talking about every moment. One, it's insulting. Ah, oh, the stupid women—they don't understand that they're buying the pink one, and so it's more expensive. Ah, oh. the stupid women—they, I mean. She may have some kind of job in graphic design or whatever, but she should be doing some kind of STEM thing that's really, 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 really elevated, you know. Mm-hmm. It, but but I mean, she's not going to be able to do it on her merit, so uh, just put her in, put her in to be like the boys. Yeah, and like the truth is, women apparently don't pay back their college debt at the same rates men do. Whether that's because they go into majors that are less lucrative, whether it's because they're more likely to leave the workforce, whether it's because they're more likely to choose jobs that are less demanding on their time and attention because they want to, for example, spend more time with their kids, you know, intentionally, um, you know, and and a lot of jobs have really tried to embrace having more women in high 
roles. But, you know, it's just the case that women, especially women who want to have kids, want to spend time with them sometimes and like don't want to be a partner at the law firm because of the amount of time that it takes away from other stuff that they want to do. And, you know, and that these high intensity jobs and that's even before you get to the things like working on oil rigs and stuff that women don't want to do. Right. But but women just seemingly make choices that make them less able to pay off these loans. And so we should really, really be asking if the problem is women are being burdened with debt, that they are less able to pay off than men. Like maybe we should be asking if we should be uh, offering them these loans in the first place. Right. Like, and and I, I would assume that the same thing happens with minority students that we are pushing into careers that they maybe are not prepared for. Well, career, yes, career, or in, yes, and this would be said for anybody. And I actually have seen, it's, it's funny, because I have seen this, I've seen people in my profession who have gotten jobs because the office was looking to get more diversity in there mm -hmm. for cover and it's not great the outcomes have not been great right yeah i've been a part of the hiring process where we were basically going to give somebody a big job right off the street just say the word media just say it to yeah. us and you are now the guy you're above all these people it was a remarkable time Remarkable time because people were looking. The eye of Sauron was looking around at who did, wasn't didn't have a diverse staff. I've also worked alongside uh, to to equal it out here some legacy hires who were absolutely mouth breathing morons who because they were legacy hires were also in there. So, like some boss's kid or whatever. Exactly. Or, yeah. Exactly. So like I'm not for for either of those, but. Okay, we're having this experiment. We're do, we're yeah. doing it. We're gonna see if we can suck the most. So there is yeah. a man with a very light beard, Alice, maybe even lighter than mine, who's got pink hair mm -hmm. and a, a beard and blue fun glasses. Pink hair. This is on um, from men Ashley with pink hair always. Uh, yeah. It says, uh, what do you think of this organ surgeon discussing the gender-affirming surgeries, gas, he performs on children? According to him, 80% of his practice is gender-affirming yeah, surgeries, and his passion lies in genital surgery. That's where his passion lies. Uh, yeah. Makes him happy to do that kind of surgery. surgery. Gender-affirming surgeries are expanding. A lot of adolescents uh, presenting for surgical intervention. The surgeon also claims gender-affirming surgeries on children are what are a unique challenge because we're kind of learning and figuring out what works. So 80% or so of my practice is gender-affirming surgery. Um, so I do facial, chest surgery, and genital surgery. Um, but the majority of my practice and sort of where my passion lies is really genital surgery cases. So I do a lot of vaginoplasty and a lot of phalloplasty. Vocal burn's not helping me. Listen. I would just say they're expanding in either direction <laughs> um so yeah a lot of adolescents um presenting for surgical intervention but also a lot of people that are like in their 70s sometimes coming in for genital surgery and then everything in between um this guy talks like a 15 year old girl i i it, like even facial expressions he reminds me of women i know um i don't want a 15 year old girl with fun pink hair 
doing doing any surgery or a 15-year-old boy. I don't want this 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 person may be a medical doctor, but mostly they're part of a religious movement here, and he's mm-hmm. a character in it. Yeah. Gender affirming surgery on boys and girls, vaginal plastic. That's whatever. his passion. Okay. Um, there's also a new entry, honey, in the competition for most embarrassing, uh, editor's note on a news story. Last week we had the Florida, actually, guys, more people are moving out of Florida than Mm -hmm. California and New York, which was corrected to, um... It's the opposite. (laughs) It's not, that's not what it is. This week we had AV Club. There were some leaked photos that the Daily Mail published from the set of the new Snow White and the Seven Dwarves in which, well, we knew Snow White was going to be Hispanic because, of course, she is. Um, And uh, there were some set photos that showed her not having skin as white as snow and of the Seven Dwarves who were like 17 different races and heights and some of them are girls and like not like dwarves at all and anyway so the these were going around and uh av club treated us to the article with the headline disney says obviously fake snow white photos are in fact fake uh which has now been updated with uh the following editor's note um after initially telling the Daily Beast that the Snow White set photos were fake, a spokesperson now says that the photos are, in fact, from the production, but are not official photos. We regret the error, and in our mind, they still look pretty fake. The following story has been updated to reflect this fact. In our mind? <laughs> Who gets to write that? Well, they called them the obviously fake Snow but, White photos. Right, so. but who's the in our mind? The editor, I guess. And so the new headline is Disney now says those Snow White photos are not official. So not official photos is what they meant by fake. So I am just, you know, I don't consume much of this stuff anyway, but I'm absolutely ready to tailor my life around whenever possible. Just sticking it to these. You know, the the thing is, it's not as if we're playing make believe and people and it's fun. We're playing make-believe, and it's ugly and horrific, and <laughs> sucks, and everything sucks because of the make-believe yeah. the left wants to play. Like, the guy who loves genital surgery, surgery especially, and who's, like, really, his pink hair, like, is really excited about it, as he looks around, like, he, like curious 13-year-old. No, pride uh, parades are not, like, happy, wholesome places. Yeah. They're creepy and dark. Yes. Just like when we were at the Memorial Day parade. I mean, this year, and everything's like wholesome and flags, and you're like tearing up at the national anthem, and then like the weird, are- creepy liberals have to be weird and creepy. Like, trust your gut. The weird, creepy people, the people whose passion is genital surgery, just they are what you think they are, you know? Clouds roll, turn, and I said. Must have brought the rain from Boston But you looked at me and I felt the sun And I said, I don't usually burn But I can feel you on my skin And 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com code buttery exclusions apply see site for details hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.